E-S-N-Y. episode of the Hoops Addicts Anonymous podcast, an Elite Sports NY production, recording on the evening of February 2nd. It's a Tuesday. It's a little past 8 p.m. Rolling as always with my co-host Chip Murphy. Chip, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. Just shoveled for like an hour straight, so a little tired, but I'm oh, good. Yeah. We, uh, I, I know that pain. Um, I don't have too much of a driveway, but I do have a parking spot that I had to shovel, and uh, the landlord, for whatever reason, did not feel like touching that, so that, that was all my job yesterday. Not, not too much fun, so I, I know all about that. Um, but... As always, man, we're, we're pumped to be talking hoops again tonight. we got a huge matchup between the Brooklyn Nets, the Los Angeles Clippers, on as we're recording this right now. Um, to, help break us down, to help us break down some other NBA stories that have been going on, um, you know, we always love talking with writers, talented writers around kind of the Twitter sphere, people that we've made connections with. So tonight, we are very happy to bring on um, a good friend of the podcast, somebody who Chip and I know well, uh, Hoops Habit writer, Larry Hammonds. Larry, what's going on, man? Thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm doing well. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. Can't complain. Um, interestingly enough, we were talking a little bit about this before offline, but I know um, Chip and I were texting about this earlier today, but some crazy big news in the world of, of video games, I don't play as much as I used to, but um, EA decided to reboot the NCAA um, football series. I, you know, whenever I used to play, I was always playing with Notre Dame. I, I think Chip uh, always used to do the dynasties, but huge news for anyone that has played that game out there. They got a new one coming out. Chip, what uh, first first thoughts when you heard that news come out? First thoughts were I immediately retweeted it and tweeted out like the gif of Kurt Angle crying as he was like his Hall of Fame ceremony. I think it was <laughs> like I was so happy when I saw that. It's my favorite video game of all time. I was so pumped for that. Like you said, I used to do the dynasty and I would play as like the really shitty teams and try and beat the great team, stuff like that. Like I play as like UConn or UMass or someone like that like Toledo, mostly a East Coast school, like a really small school. And it was just fun, man. It was just such a fun game because you'd create your own coach and try and move up and get a better job. It was just fun to play like that. Like, and just sports games aren't that good anymore. I just feel like even NBA 2K, it used to be good and it's just not as good as it used to be. And if they're bringing NCAA football back as good as it used to be, I know they're you're going to have to get a new a next gen Xbox or PlayStation to play it, which is a lot of money. But I mean, if it's anywhere close to the quality that it used to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Like just getting that game back. It, it was definitely fun, man. A, a video game that uh, I played a lot in college for sure. Um, I feel like I used to get really hyped up whenever they had like the band playing in the background and yeah. stuff like that. That was fun. But Larry and I, we were both showing uh, 
that, that I guess we're, we're all around the same age, but we were both saying that, you know, we used to rent these things from Blockbuster back in the day. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. No, no long, no, uh, no longer around, but um, that that's how far. Yeah. Back go, I now guess. you can but, download the game and play it in a day. <laughs> you know, there, was, there was other big news in the sports video game front today. Well, I don't know if it came out today, but I found out today. Oh, what happened? MLB 2021, MLB The Show 2021 will be for every um, gaming platform, and it will be cross-platform. Wow. That is is huge. That is huge. For the first time ever, the show will be available on platforms other than Sony. Wow. Wow, That's huge news. Actually, wait, Chip, Chip, and Larry, real quick. Do you guys remember Triple Play? That's how oh, I got uh, MLB Triple Play, and then I, I forget what year it was. I think it was two thousand three, where you on the team select and you keep pressing left and right mm-hmm. on the D pad, and then you get like this crazy cheat team where you've got like the world's fastest catcher. You play with a giant. You had the, like this weird. D- it was like playing NFL Blitz yeah. when you do that. NFL Blitz was an amazing game too. And oh MVP God. baseball with Manny Ramirez on the cover. I forget what year that was. Or yeah. and Albert Pujols. Those were great games. When you could play as like minor leaguers and play against the major leaguers too. Just su- such a fun game. I miss baseball video games because yeah. I always had an Xbox. I'm glad that game's coming over. Blitz was crazy. Blitz was crazy too. I feel like I worked out a lot of life's frustrations on NFL. <laughs> <laughs> All the smashing, man. Like that, that was a crazy, crazy game. I only enjoyed playing defense on Blitz. Yeah. I, yeah. I hated playing offense because I'm like, yo, that's a pass interference. <laughs> of, course. of course. Oh, man. Um, as we kind of transition back into hoops here, uh, Larry covers the Atlanta Hawks, the Philadelphia 76ers. I know he knows some Knicks as well. Um, but I wanted to start with the Hawks here tonight. Such a really interesting team. Chip and I, you know, we we talked about the Hawks preseason, um, and I think Chip was a little bit higher on their offseason than I was, um, and maybe maybe wrongfully on my part. You know, I I felt like I felt like they added a lot, but I didn't know if the the pieces necessarily fit. And they added a ton of money on that team, but I know I know one of the reasons behind it is because they've got to make sure that Trey Young resigns with them. They've got to make sure that they do whatever they can to make themselves look like a, a, a team that's going to contend at, at some point uh, for him. But the first place I wanted to start with you is uh, Clint Capella and John Collins. Um, John Collins is a guy that, you know, I actually kind of see a little bit of Obi Toppin in or, or what I hope Obi Toppin can be. Um, hopefully. But, uh, and I like the way he fit with Clint because I saw Mitch as kind of like a Clint because a lot of people were saying, Oh, Obi has to be a five. Um, but the thing, the, the one, the thing I wanted to ask you is this, there was a lot of people that, that were very critical of the fit between Capella and Collins right now. They have the highest two man net rating on the team. Um, what has enabled them to work so well in, in the games that you've seen? Uh, because I know that, you know, some people were worried about Collins' ability to shoot. Um, you know, Clint is more of the rim protector, but how would that affect Collins? They brought in a ton of power forwards in the offseason. But but what has worked so far? All right. Well, Trey Young. <laughs> Trey, Trey Young. 
you can't even you can't even give that much credit to the coaching staff because I honestly feel like the coaching staff isn't maximizing the potential of having Capella and Collins on the court together. But it's really Trey Young making sure that they both get the ball. Like there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of negativity in the air and a lot of people talking about the, the Hawks and dysfunction because of that athletic article that came out that I feel like was blown way out of proportion. I, I said it before, I'll say it again. That was a healthy exchange. The way it was described in the article was a healthy exchange. Trey Young just so happened to look disengaged the next game and they played poorly and everybody just blew everything out of proportion. But Trey Young's been doing a great job of making sure that Collins is still getting a decent amount of touches and that Capella is being put in a position to put the ball in the hoop because Capella's not a skilled offensive player. Right. His best asset on offense is dunking the ball. So you see a lot of alley-oops, you see a lot of pick and roll, and you see a lot of him getting putbacks off the offensive rebound. But Collins is a 40% three-point shooter. I don't think a lot of people realize that. Right. When people... People question his shooting. He shot, I believe, 38% two years ago from three. He shot 40% last year, and he's shooting 40% this year. Collins is a really good three-point shooter. What they need to do is start running a lot of double pick and rolls with them, where you see Capella, because Collins is a great pick and slip guy. He's a great pick and roll guy. But with Capella's inability to score outside the paint, that kind of takes that away. So with Collins being able to shoot, you can, you, we should see a lot of double drag sets and a pick and roll mixed with a pick and pop. You see Capella slipping to the rim, Collins fading out to the three, or you have Collins do a pick and roll while Capella setting a pin down screen in the corner for Herder to come around the perimeter. There's so many ways that they can even increase this. Now, you talk about their net rating, but if you also notice, Collins' numbers are down as well. They have a solid net rating, but Collins is scoring less. He's rebounding less, which should have been expected to an extent because they added other pieces. But it's all Trey Young. Trey Young is just making sure that those guys stay involved. It's so funny, Larry, you say that because we did a pod with uh, Jonathan Macri, and we kind of talked about this a little bit like months ago. And he, uh, he kind of said the same thing, you know, it, it, this is before this season, but he was like, he was like, yeah, but what do the Hawks have that we don't meaning the Knicks. And he was like, they have Trey young, they have that engine. You know what I mean? That, that can really get everything going, but that your answer just kind of set up my next question, because I really want to know what you think about this. So again, I, I frame this in the sense that I was lower on the Hawks off season than a lot of people were. Um, again, because I, I question some of the fit. Um, and what I really question is how you're going to find minutes for guys that the Hawks are technically supposed to be developing, like Cam Reddish. Gallinari just came back from injury, right? Onyeko Kongwu, he is, he's the, the, the high draft pick. You know, you got to find minutes for him. You've got a ton of bigs, DeAndre Hunter before. Now his injury kind of saves them a little bit here. But before his injury, he was having a, you know, a borderline most improved season. Like he, he was really killing it. So how are they going to find minutes for all of these guys? And ultimately, what do you think is their best rotation 
um, when it comes to like those three, four, and five slots? Well, I, I would say that I was higher on Cam being a 30 minutes a game guy coming into the season than what I've seen. I thought Cam Reddish's development would have been a little further along with the long layoffs. But when you look at the offseason, their main additions, they added Rondo, who his best asset is not being on the court. It's, it's in the locker room and on the sideline. So you don't really have to necessarily worry about his playing time. Chris Dunn, easily the backup point guard once he's healthy. But he had an offseason ankle surgery. He's still rehabbing, hasn't played a single game for them. And Brian Goodwin is actually playing pretty good for them in the backup role. Then you got uh, Tony Snell, fringe rotation guy, fully healthy team. Don't expect to see Snell on the court that much. He's only played in, what, nine games. He's only averaging about eight minutes a game already. So when the team is fully healthy, don't worry about him. He's a depth guy. He's a salary cap filler from a trade. Solomon Hill, veteran leadership. He's been playing pretty good defense off the bench. He's been um, he's shooting 45.8% from corner threes on the season. So he's been playing well. But another guy, fringe rotation guy. The main guys you want to be talking about from the offseason are the two really big acquisitions in Gallinari and Bogdanovich. Now, the GM said it. When they signed Bogdan, um, Gallinari, that was to come off the bench. Okay. He, he's supposed to be your super six man. Now, now if he closes, that's, that's a whole nother story. But he's supposed to be the super six man playing like 30 minutes a game off the bench. I was surprised when I saw Bogdanovich coming off the bench to start the season. But when you, when you look at it, what, right when the season ended, well, it was put on pause. Well, it ended for the Hawks. They were a part of the teams that didn't get invited to the bubble. The head coach publicly said the goal is to be a playoff team next year. You just put yourself, you just, you just put yourself out there. Now the GM went out there and did the best job he could to fulfill that promise while also keeping a little flexibility in the long term because Gallinari got signed to a major deal, but his third year, he's only signed for three years and the third year is not fully guaranteed. He's only guaranteed like five mil in the third year if they cut him. Then um, Bogdanovich is still young. The problem with what we got in the all season is that pretty much everybody's been hurt with the exception of Solomon Hill. So it's tough to even say how they're gonna find minutes when they can't even get everyone healthy. Um, Dunn hasn't played. Rondo's only played 11 games. Gallinari's only played eight. Bogdanovich don't know when he's coming back. He has a fractured kneecap. So it looks like it looks like the offseason was is a loss right now. But I still have faith. I think the biggest, the biggest, most significant pickup in the offseason is gonna surprise people, but it was Chris Dunn. What Chris Dunn is gonna bring for the defense and the toughness to the team. You add that with what Capella's already doing. Capella ranks second among centers in defensive rating, 102.2. He's um, fourth in the league in blocks per game. So you you add a a pit bull like Chris Dunn coming off the bench, play alongside um, Trey Young, 
it's going to be okay. And then you do, what is it? Uh, Bogdanovich can play either the shooting guard or small forward. You can move Gallinari around. He can play the three or the four. So it's not, all the guys are versatile. Pretty much their whole team outside of the point guard position and Capella, you can move them around. So there's always going to be ways to get guys minutes. It's just about getting the team healthy and figuring out what's the most effective rotation. I think that's going to be really interesting. And, it, and it's funny, you bring up Chris Dunn, Chip. I want to know what you think about this as well, because that was another kind of issue I had with the offseason, because the Hawks, you know, even last year, in a, when the record was obviously, you know, poor, but um, one of the areas that we, you were hoping they would address, and I think more more fully than they did was defense because I and and Chris Dunn is a great defender you can't deny that and pairing him with Capella I'm sure that those lineups are going to have a nice defensive rating but I wonder how many minutes you're going to be able to play with with Dunn on there because of his lack of shooting Chip where do you kind of see that playing out and and what did you kind of ultimately think about their offseason I'm a huge fan of Chris Dunn yeah, so I was a big fan of that signing, but I I don't know how many minutes they're actually going to play him, uh, especially with him coming back from injury, and they have so much talent that they need to get onto the court. I do think he's obviously a great fitting, sorry, a great pairing with Trey Young because Trey Young will never have to guard the best player on the court. When Chris Dunn's out there, you can always take on the challenge. But I love their offseason. I was really high on it, a lot higher than I think most people were. And the interesting thing about it is, though, I'd like to know if if you could give the Hawks GM truth serum and ask him, if you knew DeAndre Hunter was going to play this well this year, would you still have spent all that money on Danilo Gallinari? Yeah, <laughs> if you knew oh. DeAndre Hunter was going to be this good. What do you think, Larry? I, Me personally... I can't speak for the GM. I think he still does it, to be honest. Yeah. But personally, I didn't expect the. I was surprised by DeAndre Hunter's performance this year. He was never he was never talked about on the offensive side. It was always or his offensive potential. It was always about what he brought defensively. So yeah. That being said, I would never, ever, ever pay Gallinari more than ten a year. It was a lot of money. He, I'm he's a, a really good offensive player. He's one of the best shooters in the game. But when has he ever been healthy? It's a fair point. Like he's, He has he's never been, been able to stay healthy. Never. He's had maybe, I believe, I wrote about this but I, a couple months ago, but I can't remember the exact number. I think he had. Even when he was with Denver, he had some yeah, significant. He had, he's had maybe one season, and I think it was with the Clippers that he played more than 70 games. I thought he'd never had. All right. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. Maybe it's, maybe it's 75. Season. Maybe it's yeah, 75. It one season that he's had 70-plus games played. So it's like. Yeah, it's one. You're right. He played 71 one time. So at this stage of his career, with all the health questions throughout the entirety of his career, like I could never sit there and pay him that much unless it's at a reduced role and I'm a championship contending team. I can't see me even looking, going after him. I don't want him in fantasy. Why would I want him on a real NBA if I'm running a real NBA team? I, I just, 
I understood it, but at the same time, I just didn't agree with it. But so, with the Hawks, they were in with the position they were in. I see him do. I see the offseason playing out exactly the same way. So you said he's supposed. You said he's supposed to be their six super six man. That was their role for him. What do you see his role for them going forward right now? With Hunter's emergence, obviously playing a factor in that. Well. With with the team fully healthy or as it stands right now? With the team fully healthy, Bogdanovich coming back too. With the team fully healthy, I see him as a super six man. With the team fully healthy and based off of what I've been able to see from the guys that have been playing so far, the ideal starting lineup should be Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Hunter, Collins, Capella. You have Gallinari as your super six man, and you have Herder and Cam coming off the bench with him. Dunn, look, you have Dunn in this, Dunn, Herder, Cam, and then a mixture of Okongwu, and you're going to have to mix in Gallinari and maybe Hunter for his defense or Collins for length. And you have enough shooting around Dunn where he can play seven minutes at a time and not have to worry about floor spacing or really worry about his inability to put the ball in the basket. That's a lot of bad defenders in that starting five, I feel like, if you put Bogdanovich well, no, no, in no, there. But, but, see, you put Bogdanovich in there, he's he's not great, but he's not a horrible defender. And you still yeah. have Hunter, you still have Hunter, you still have Collins, and you still have Capella. Yeah. Look, let's, when you look at Collins, Collins is a career best 104.4 defensive rating this year. He really answered the call and, and improved on the defensive end. It's true. I, I actually, it's, it's funny, you know, I was trying to, you know, map out our, our boy Obi Toppin's hopeful eventual defensive improvement and Collins and Deandre Ayton were the guys that I was hoping that he could kind of mirror a little bit. Collins has been better defensively. I just feel like Reddish might be a better guy in the starting lineup because he's a yeah, but superior see, but defender. Like, yes, I agree. But at the same time, with all that versatility you have in the offense, if you take Reddish out and you put in Bogdanovich, now you have Trey Bogdanovich and Hunter, who's now proven he can put the ball on the floor, who can facilitate. You have three, you have two. You have two backup playmakers to trade. You can give Trey a rest, get him off the ball, let the defense worry about somebody else for a play or two. And then you can try to run some more off-ball actions that you see guys like Steph Curry run. Chip, the other thing about, and and Larry too, like, I don't know, Cam, man, like, he's scared wait, 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 sometimes, wait, man, sorry. because he... You're not going to slander Cam. <laughs> it's not slander. It's not slander. But 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 he he runs hot and cold for me sometimes, man. And like, listen, you, listen, I, I'll, I'll give him I'm not this. This is not really praising him or criticizing him. But I was very surprised when I saw that video of Anthony Edwards that came out and they asked him and they were like, yo, who is the hardest person to guard? Or or they said, like, who is the person who gave you the most fits in college or high school? And he was like, Cam Reddish. And you know how many people will tell you that, though? I guess a lot. Right, yeah, remember rookies voted him the guy to have the best career and when they were yeah. in his draft class. 
and when they and then um when they were talking to RJ Barrett in one of his pre-draft interviews, he said Cam is the smoothest basketball player he's ever seen. At one point, he was supposed to be the top recruit at Duke until <laughs> the emergence of RJ and Zion. Like Man. people gotta remember, this kid had sports hernia surgery right before his rookie season. Right. He was he was a he's only 21 years old, doesn't even have an 82 game, an 82 regular season games under his belt. Yeah. And he's he's shown progress. It's, it's not enough, it's not as much as Dre has shown. But I like to remind people, uh, DeAndre Hunter, three years of college, Cam Reddish one. Yeah, it's true. And then it, it's also hard to develop. Look at look at um Brandon Ingram's rookie year with Kobe Bryant. Right. No, that's true. It's hard. It, it, it's like it's, it's it's not a shot at Trey, but it's hard to develop young offensive talent when you have such ball-dominant players already on your rate, team. His usage rate is always going to be so crazy that it is going to be difficult. But you know what? It's funny because then maybe, you know, maybe he does – honestly, maybe he does need to be in the starting lineup then because I, I don't know, man. If, if, you, if you have a guy that you invested that much draft equity in and if you really feel like he can be the truth, then I don't uh, – I don't know. It's going to be tough. I have a hot take when it comes to that. I say send him to the G League. I want him to go to the G League. Cam Reddish? Wow. I want Cam Reddish to go to the G League. When you watch him play, play, it's as good good of a prospect as, as he is, as much hype as he has around him. Part of the reason you haven't seen him get close to that yet is is because of he's young, the inexperienced, but it's also the fact that he's not fundamentally sound in a lot of areas. Right. While he has a good shooting form, he doesn't have great footwork for a wing player. He he has sloppy dribble. Like when you see him drive into the basket, he loses the dribble sometimes without a defender even reaching for the ball. He bounces the ball off his legs a lot. He doesn't come clean around the screens. It's, it's, it's fundamental things that he needs to get better at. And for a Hawks team that's talking about being a playoff team and who I projected to be a top six team in the East, you don't have the luxury of, of holding his hand throughout the season. Right. And you're not going to have enough practice in the condensed season. You don't have enough practice time. To, to sit here and and give him that one-on-one time with the developmental coaches and the trainers. And it's like, if you watch the games, it's it's really just fundamental things that he he hasn't mastered. And once he gets over that hump, you'll see a totally different player. And I feel like the best way to make that happen without hurting his development or slowing things down even more than what this pandemic has done and without hurting your playoff chances is send them to the G League bubble. Wow. That is he'll not- be a, he'll be a 33 a minute guy, a game guy. He'll have all the freedom to make all the mistakes in the world. And he'll have enough coaches and time to work on the fundamentals. The interesting thing to me about that take though is that 
I almost feel like, and I feel like, tell me if you feel like I'm, I'm right on this. I, I feel like if he truly reaches his ceiling, if he goes to the G League with the Hawks and he truly reaches his ceiling, I think his best days in the NBA are not in Atlanta. I think he could be, I think, I think if he truly reaches his ceiling, Trey Young would be the number two option in Atlanta with him as the number one. Oh my God. Then, wow. <laughs> listen, look, um, show me one team in the NBA history that a legit point guard, not Magic Johnson or LeBron James, a legit point guard was the best player on the team. No, I Steph don't Curry's disagree a with you. Guard in a point guard's body. So is Trey. Well, Trey Young is more willing passer, but these are these are score first point guards. Even though Trey Young's best ability is playmaking, and he loves to pass, he racks up assists. But show me one team that the best player is the is the lead guard. It's always a wing or it's a, a big. Leg, yeah, it's a wing or a big. Even the the Lakers dynasty, you had Kobe, Shaq, then you had Kobe Powell. Like everywhere you look, it's either a wing or a big. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, 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 and maybe call me crazy, but even his peers think that he has superstar potential. Yeah, I mean it's so funny because we would we literally had as one of our bulleted points, you know, what. How far can the Hawks go with Trey Young as their best player? And Larry literally just put the obliterated that. <laughs> I love it. I love see? it. But see, now to piggyback off of that, I, I I start off every conversation about when anybody talks, how far can this person take them? I start off the answer with the same for everybody. There is only one LeBron James. Right. LeBron James is the only person in history to go to the finals by himself. And that was in 2007. He's the only person in, and he didn't even succeed. Well, hold up, hold up. What what about what about my my guy AI in in 2001? He had the Kembe Mutombo. <sighs> but I mean, he had the Kembe Mutombo. Um was he like? We could talk about. We could 40? talk about the. Other How old was Matumbo? I got. It doesn't look even at... matter. Go uh, look at. Go look at his production. Look. Actually, I I, I'm gonna be honest. I I would have. I'm gonna have to look back too. I, I'll. I'll be honest. I'm not a hundred percent on that as well. But I mean, he better have been leading the league in blocks that year. At three. Kembe Matumbo. Matumbo was 34 years old and he averaged 11 point, 11.7 points, 12.4 rebounds, and 2.5 blocks. I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty we, – we would love that for Mitchell Robinson. I'll, I'll tell you that. Uh, Eric Snow averaged 9.8 points. And I didn't even know Eric Snow ever averaged seven assists in his career. That starting lineup was Aaron McKee, Derek Coleman, I believe. Uh, Eric oh, he, Coleman. They had, yeah. They had Tony Kukoc coming off the bench. Well, Kukoc, yeah. Kukoc was nice. Kukoc was nice. That's what? Sure. Come on. I, I, I can't believe what the end. Let's not forget. I, I did forget. Thank, thank you, Basketball Reference. Shout out to Basketball Reference. I forgot about this. They had a young Nazi Muhammad back in the Kembe Matumbo. 
Nah, he's gonna have once a once a Nick always. So, don't don't um don't say look. I love AI, but nah, LeBron James is the only person to carry a team by himself to the finals. Ah, uh, so Dirk did it. Like, Dirk did it. What when when he had Jason Terry when he had All Star Josh Howard on his team when he had Michael Finley and Jason Terry. Josh was Michael Finley. Mike, all those guys were on that team. I'm talking about the 2006 Mavericks. Maybe Michael Finley wasn't there anymore. He might have been in San Antonio. I listen. I do remember. I I mean, I'm pretty sure Tyson Chandler has had a had a had a decent. Yeah, but oh, he, he didn't have like another superstar on that team. Wait, hold on. He had wait. You talking about the first time or the second time? When he beat LeBron. When they won. It, when they won oh, it. come on. They had what? They had the best cast of role players since the '95 Houston Rockets. What? Oh, are you was talking, a, what? It was a well they put together kid. team. Yeah, well, they had but kid. he didn't do they it by himself. JJ. They had Kid and JJ Barea. They had. Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion had a hell of a playoffs that year. Jason Terry was still there. He wasn't the Jason Terry that was averaging 17 the first time Dirk went to the finals, but he wasn't by himself. We can argue that people had some pretty bad teams compared to other championship teams. Wait, but when LeBron are you saying team? when did LeBron win it by himself then? I didn't oh, say he, he said won. he said bring it. No, he said bring him to the finals by himself. He's yeah, talking, I said, bring him to the finals, not win the finals. Assuming, Nobody's ever won by themselves. No, I'm, but I'm assuming you got to be talking about that year where they, they went to and they got swept by the Spurs, right? That was the right. only time a player went to the finals by themselves. But I got to – let's hold up. Let's think real quick about who was on that because I know, okay, we got Booby Gibson. We probably got Sildrunas Ogalskis. Ogalskis was old and battered. What, what his about best, his best as the best player on that team besides him was Mo Williams? And Mo Williams' only good years were when he was with LeBron. What about was who else was there? Morris Peterson or no? Was he on that team? Um, I'm, I don't recall. Is... I know. Um, you had you had Ogalskis. You had um, I think Varejao was there already. Varejao um, was there. Pavlovich. Maybe maybe Zerbiak wow. was still there at the time. Like this was a really bad team. This is probably one of the worst teams to appear in the finals. Like, <laughs> like so. With that being said, it all depends on the coaching staff and the supporting cast of your star player. Yeah. And I don't think that this head coaching. I don't think this coaching staff. Mainly the head coach, because I like Nate McMillan and I like some of the assistants. And this is not really a knock on Lloyd Pierce, but he reminds me of Vinny Del Negro. He's the guy that gets you through the rebuild and helps the development of the players. He's really good with development, but he's not the guy that gets you a championship. Or the Kenny Atkinson. This brings me to my point, because Chip, mm. Chip we literally talked about this before the season that I thought Poor Kenny. Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce might be on the hot seat. And I'm telling I you. I think he put himself there. I think he put himself there by saying that, that, that last year he said the only goal was to get better each and every day. And as soon as they put the season on pause, he said, we're going to the playoffs next year. I was like, what? I'm pretty sure even his players were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they couldn't guard a chair, dude. I mean, like, it was 
They had some rough. Ooh. I remember I saw them play the Knicks live last year before COVID. And it was one of it, the Knicks actually played the Hawks. The la, that was their last game before the NBA shut down. But I saw them come to the garden, whatever time it was before then. And I was pumped because the Knicks won and it was a blowout and it, they played great. But I was just stunned because the Hawks, like, they literally looked like that, like they were trying kind of like, it's one of those things where they're trying, but they just didn't look organized and defensively. Like if you were, if you were getting blown out by the David Fisdale Knicks, um, there was something wrong, you know, there was something yeah, wrong. They were, they were really bad defensively last year. And even this year, this year, they, they, even with Capella being number four in blocks per game, they're horrible at guarding the paint. They're one of the worst at giving up points in the paint, but they're still a top six defense this year. Wow. I believe they I believe they have the sixth best defense, defensive rating this year. Wow. And and think about this. They they were ten and nine. They just lost um to the Lakers yesterday. So they're ten and ten now. But they didn't get their tenth win last year till like game 34, 35. It had to be a while. And and look, as much as we were talking about how much Chris Dunn is gonna help their defense, he hasn't even played for them yet, and they're already a top ten defense with just Clint Capella. Like, I still look at Clint Capella as an off season acquisition because even though they traded for him last year, he never played for them. Right. He never got on the court for them until this year. So I still count that as one of their off-season acquisitions. And he's been by far the most significant addition to the team. I like so do you think the season for them so far, like you said, they're 10 and 10 while we're recording this, is it a success for them right now? As, as of this moment, yes. I think even if they don't reach their playoff goals, the progress that you've seen in just these 10 games, this season thus far is a success. And if things continue to trend this way, this they're moving in the right direction. And I think regardless of what their record is at the end of the season, if they're anything short of actually winning two games in the first round of the playoffs, Lloyd Pierce needs to be replaced with a more experienced coach. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I think so he's going to get fired if they don't win a playoff series. I feel like there's a ton of pressure on him. I think he needs no, to I win a playoff think, series. I don't think he should be um, – I don't think the goal should be win the playoff series simply because of who they're likely to be matched up against. Maybe. But they spent like, $150 million in free agency. But, but I mean, that $150 million is over the entirety of the contracts, not for the just this season. True. But, but and, and I mean, also, owners expect not- results when they – yeah, you're right. Like you're right. Yeah. But, but but then you look at the competition. You got you got the Philadelphia 76ers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Boston Celtics, and the Brooklyn Nets. Right. Those are your four biggest obstacles in the East. The Hawks would honestly be lucky to get a game. They could probably get two against you know, if Boston, Boston. figure this out, maybe then Let- I think I think their best bet is actually the Nets, just because of how awful they are on defense. Could be. Yeah. Because think about this: they took them to overtime. 
lost, then they beat them yeah. two nights later. That was before Harden. After the Harden trade, they they should have won in regulation. Yeah. And ended up losing to the Nets in overtime. Yeah. Their best bet is the Nets because of their defense. When you look at the Celtics and the and the 76ers, their team defense is just superb. So and they have too much firepower on both ends of the court. Mm. The Nets are only good on one side of the court right now. So that is most definitely a fact. Uh, right now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, now if they go out and get a JaVale McGee, that changes everything, right? Or if Norvell Pell plays the way he played when he was in Philly, everybody's going to be like, who the hell is this guy? Where'd he come from? Yeah, Elton Brand was dumb enough to wave him. <laughs> well, uh, let's keep it. Let's actually keep it in the Eastern Conference. And you just mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers. Chip, um, why don't you start us off with some, some Sixers questions for Larry? Uh, number one in the East right now, really, really looking good after their offseason. They've clearly put some good shooting around their two biggest stars in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Um, Chip, what are, what are we making of, of the Sixers so far? Yeah, I mean, there's one thing you have to talk about more than anything else with the Sixers. It's Joel Embiid. He's averaging 28.3 point, points, 11.1 rebounds. Uh, 54.4% shooting, 40% from the field, 84% from the line. It's his most efficient season ever, obviously, by far. He's never put up field goal percentage numbers or three-point percentage numbers like that. Actually, he's, none of them. Even his free throw percentage is a career Yeah, high. his free throw, too. Yeah. So he's never been this efficient, Larry. So want to ask you, what's changed with him, and do you think he can keep it up? I think, well, a few things have changed. Let's start with that. First off, he's posting up a whole lot more this season than he has in seasons past. Um, 2017-18 season was the only season of his career that he's averaged more post-ups per game than he has this year. He averaged 13.8 post-ups per game in 2017-18. This year is his second highest of his career after that, 12.9 post-ups per game. And he's shooting a career high 55% in the post. But most importantly, like you touched on, they added shooting. So there's slightly better spacing than in the past. But most importantly, he's trusting his teammates and his coaches more than he ever has in the past. And he's passing out of double teams. Thanks to NBA advanced stats and all their weird tracking data, I was able to discover that this is he's passing 34.8% of the time out of his post-up possessions, which is a career high. Normally, look, his previous high is 27.2%. Normally in the post, you see him try, you, you double team, triple team. He's gonna try to fight his way through and get a shot up which usually led to a bad shot and a miss or a turnover. His turnovers are down this year because he's not forcing as much. And his, as you, as you just noted, his, his shooting efficiency went up because he's, he's not forcing as many bad shots. And he's the most dominant post player in the game since probably Shaq or Prime Dwight. 
He's the his most. His threes are down player. too. His threes are way. That's down. another thing. He's shooting. I think maybe a three and a half or two threes less per game. So he he always said like he's been a capable three point shooter. He hasn't been a great three point shooter, but I think he was hover. He's always hovered around like 35 percent, which isn't horrible. There, Luca's shooting twenty nine. So, but he's always said he doesn't like hovering around the perimeter. He wants to go down low and dominate. Doc is enabling him to do that. And then by adding Seth Curry, you you can you finally get that feel that we missed when he had JJ Redick. So with with all the shooting that they have now, Tobias is playing amazing. Everything is just clicking for the 76ers, with one exception that I'm not gonna talk about right now. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's reading the defenses better. He's not waiting for the double teams to come to make a decision. As soon as he sees somebody trying to help, he's kicking out to the open shooter. He's just playing the smartest basketball he's played in his career. It's like he's finally understands the professional game of basketball and everything is clicking for him. And he's been healthy for the most part, too. Besides, I think he missed his first game of the season the other night with back tightness. So... With the exception of that, he's he's playing great. This is the usual dominant Joel that we would normally see. He's just not forcing the bad shots, and he's trusting his teammates more. Larry, you brought up uh, Tobi- Tobias, and um, I wanted to touch on him. Hey, he's a guy that Sixers fans have loved to hate, you know, because of the size of his contract. Um, expectations were high for him. Because, you know, they, they traded for him and then re-signed him. You lose Jimmy Butler kind of in the process. Um, but he's been really efficient this season. So do you also kind of – the reason that Joel has, has been improved, we talked about the improved spacing. Do you see that as kind of the catalyst for Tobias's more efficiency this year? Or is there something else at play? I think if you go back and look at his half a season with the LA Clippers before um, he was traded to Philly, if you just look at his tenure with Doc the first time and you look at his tenure with now, you'll notice that those are some of the most efficient basketball games he's played of his career. Tobias is a player that, with the exception of last year, I just feel like last season was a wash for the Sixers organization. But with the exception of last year, Tobias has gotten better every year of his career. And he played his best basketball under Doc Rivers. I don't know what it is if he just connects with him better than any other coach ever has. Because I can't even say it's the spacing or the roster because this Sixers team is much more talented when he was with the Clippers. It's just when he plays for Doc, he's the aggressive Tobias Harris on a consistent basis that we've all wanted. Tobias has always had the skill and the talent. He's just never been consistently aggressive enough and looking for his own shot. He's always been a smart basketball player, always been talented, but he's playing aggressive like he wants it. And... I'm going to attribute that to Doc Rivers because that's the only correlation I see throughout his career 
and his production is Doc Rivers as the head coach. He plays the best basketball of his life. You've brought up Rivers a lot, and I'm glad you did because he's obviously the front runner for coach of the year right now. So as someone who follows the team closely, I wanted to ask you, obviously the winning has changed. The team's a lot better, but overall, what's the biggest difference for you, maybe on the court or off the court and overall attitude right now with the change in the Rivers and Maury era from the previous with Brown? Yeah, and Larry, real, real quick, real quick, just before Chip asked that, I um, I want to also add something in on that, that Rivers, because to me, this is like such a key point of, of the Sixers conversation, because like he gets, he gets let go from the Clippers, I feel for a couple of different reasons, they, they don't like the fact that he over, he's overly relying on vets, um, they didn't like some of the adjustments, things like that, so any anytime a coach gets fired, there's always this narrative, and sometimes it's negative, and sometimes it's hard to get uh, out from under it. But Doc has done that, right? And like, what to to you as someone who covers, like, what does that speak to? And and obviously with what Chip is saying as well, because like to me, it's so fascinating. Um, and granted, the Sixers have great players, but like he comes here and and they look better than they were under Brett Brown, you know? Um. I think I think much of the improvement doesn't necessarily have to do with Doc Rivers. Like he gets credit for for what he's done, but much of the improvement lies in the fact that the team actually looks like a team. It's not just a collection of talent like last year. The pieces actually fit the puzzle this go around. Like when you look at seasons past, I was, I was very outspoken against the trade for Jimmy Butler and the trade for Tobias Harris because I look at the right now and I look at the long term. So we all knew what was coming at the end of that season. At the end of that season, both were going to be restricted free agents. No, actually, Tobias was a restricted free agent, I believe, and um. Jimmy Butler was unrestricted. But at the end of the day, they gave up so much shooting and versatility for two guys just because they could alleviate the ball handling and scoring off of um, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And it almost, almost worked out for them. But the pieces didn't really fit the puzzle. That was more just Jimmy Butler using his sheer will like he did last year with the Heat and Joel Embiid being the amazing player that he is. But the pieces never really fit. What you saw, the team that you saw before those trades, you had Landry Shamit, J.J. Redick, Dario Cyrus, Robert Covington, a bunch of people who could space the floor and some of them could actually put the ball on the floor or play defense. You get that again with this roster. Tyrese Maxey can put the ball on the floor. Milton, Shake Milton has taken another step forward in his development. And he's been playing better off the bench. You got Seth Curry shooting the ball on the perimeter. Danny Green. These are things they didn't have last year. The Sixers are one of the worst three-point shooting teams last year as far as percentage-wise. And they, they had horrible floor spacing. They actually look like a team 
that can compete now because the pieces fit together better than they did last year. Josh Richardson isn't a bad player. Al Horford isn't a bad player. I mean, he's not the player he once was, but they had good players on the team last year. It just didn't fit. And on top of that, Brett Brown never made the adjustments to try to maximize the roster. He kept trying to play the same basketball he was playing before all those trades and free agent signings when they had all those shooters that they didn't have anymore. Now you see the Sixers playing like the Sixers when Brett Brown was the coach in 2017-18 season, when they were a top five defense and they were top five in three-point shooting, when they were, they were playing better basketball. That's what you see now. Rivers obviously plays a part, but at the same time, I don't know if you follow the press conferences, but he said on multiple times, I don't care how we score the ball or who scores the ball, as long as we outscore the other team. So, and you see a lot of freelance and the team is very reliant on the inside out game of Joel being an established his post game and the shooters firing on all cylinders. And then Tobias Harris is the anomaly that does a little bit of everything. So I can't give Rivers but so much credit when they play a pretty free style of basketball. It's just the biggest and most significant difference was that Maury and Brand went out there and got some shooters for those guys. Which seemed like a simple thing to do for so long, but the Sixers just never went out and did it. The Seth Curry trade was obviously huge for them. But you brought up Ben Simmons a couple of times, and we can't not talk about oh. Ben Simmons. We have to talk about Ben Simmons. <laughs> I think Sixers fans are probably going to hate me for how I feel about Ben Simmons. Go ahead. Well, what, 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 what did you want to talk about? No, no, no. Why, why are Sixers fans going to hate you for how you feel about Ben Simmons? That's where we're going to start. Yeah. Um, yesterday, I was on um, – Forever I Love Atlanta Sports Podcast. We were doing a post-game recap of the Hawks versus the Lakers. And I forget how, but somehow Ben Simmons came up in the conversation. And I called him a glorified role player. I mean, he's fifth on his team in scoring right now. He's averaging 13 points a game. It's not a crazy... I mean, he he was an all-star last year, but he's a great player. I can argue that he didn't deserve to be an all-star. When you look at the, like, it's such a popularity contest that I sometimes can't even take all-star nominations seriously because it's like, how does Bradley Beal not get in? But the guy that's third in his team in, in scoring but leads the team in assists and steals is, is in the all-star game. Like, Tobias Harris wasn't even an all-star reserve, but Ben Simmons was voted to the all-star game and Bradley Beal was left out not even a reserve. I can't take these things serious. Bradley Beal's team was bad. I mean, that's, I the, that's the only, Look, that's the only answer. <laughs> that's another thing I don't understand. At the end of the day, how is the team's record for all-star matter? This is about, indivi- this is about celebrating their individual performances. I think there's a to lot. Me, of- I look at the All Star Game, and it's a bunch of people that are household names or just are highlight reel. Like, how many times did Blake Griffin really deserve to be an All Star when he was with the Clippers? But because he could dunk the shit out of the basketball. Sorry for my language. No, no, no that's fine. No, he you was, can curse on here. 
Yeah. He was he was in the All-Star game. <laughs> he was in the All-Star game quite a few times. Like I don't care. Well, um Pelicans weren't in the playoff race um at the All-Star break, but Brandon Ingram was an All-Star. How many times were the Pelicans shitty and Davis was an All-Star? Like you, you you can I I would have to nitpick and really look at the teams and go back to nba.com and see exactly what their record was at the time of the all-star voting but there's been quite a few people that didn't come um, that were didn't get their record held against them for the all-star yeah demarcus cousins for a long time too so but here look, see, look like go ahead, so, so ben simmons sorry but on on simmons though the one thing i want to ask you though larry so and i'll agree too like Cause, cause I, I, I feel, you know, he, he's obviously limited because he can't shoot. Um, but, but for but, me, it's more than just his offensive game. It's his overall game. Like it's not even just about his shooting. That's like the most well-documented thing, right? His shooting. But the dude is 6'10 and he averages 2.6 post-ups a game. And he passes 60% of the time that he posts up the ball. He only really scores in transition. He's he's what fourth or fifth year, and then he's a career low, thirteen point three points per game. Like granted, he rebounds, he passes, but even that, I say, look at the tape. His vision isn't as great as people say. His playmaking isn't as great as people say. He makes easy passes to open players. So he's do you not feel like if he was. So here's the thing. Do you feel like? All right, so if he was on a worse team, you don't feel like he would be getting the kind of the publicity that he that he gets. I think he would. If he was on a worse team, you would see him driving to the basket more. You would see him flying out in fast breaks more. You would see Giannis Antetokounmpo three years ago, four years ago. That's what you would see in Ben Simmons. You would see what you saw when he was on a consistent basis when he was averaging 16 points a game. But it's his overall lack of development. The only area he's ever gotten better at since he turned pro is defense. He hasn't become a better playmaker. He hasn't become a better leader. He hasn't become a better scorer. He hasn't become better at anything other than defense. And even his defensive numbers are down this year. He has a defensive rating of 108.2. DeAndre Hunter in his second year in the NBA on a worse defensive team has a better defensive rating than him. I guess it's honestly, it's an interesting conversation because there's a lot of people like, like Simmons always gets a lot of all NBA consideration. And, and I never understood it. And and honestly, there's a lot of people that really do hype him up, but I don't know. You know what? I, I think the biggest point that you make that is really starting to kind of shift my mindset is his development. Like, yeah, like he hasn't the, gotten yeah. better. He, Look, I don't know what sites you might use for stats, but whether you go off a percentile or if you just look at the raw averages and look at his shooting splits, for crying out loud, this dude is still a 60-something percent free throw shooter. He's shooting a career high 
63.9. But you got mm-hmm. seven foot Joel Embiid shooting 84. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think that's the biggest knock on him that he's still almost the exact same player he was as yeah. a rookie. That if, that even he does well, he still does he still does well. Anything mm-hmm. everything that he doesn't do well, he still doesn't do well. Yeah. If you take away defense and you look at his LSU tape and you look at his 2021 Sixers tape, the only difference you'll see are the players around him and the jersey he's wearing. Well, he was a great – he was an elite passer in college. That's the thing. I don't know if it's – No, but see, but see, we, we get caught up in the, in the full-court pinpoint passes. We get caught up in the threading the needle, right? But who is he passing open? Who is he creating shots for? No one. He's not – like, he's not – Um, yesterday – Trey Young behind the back pass across the court to Kevin Herter for a three-pointer. You're not getting that from Ben Simmons. But in fairness, in fairness, the Sixers offensive numbers in years past have been okay without Embiid and just Simmons. They've played okay. And, and, And why was that? Why was that? Because they had shooting. So you put, that's always been the theory of the Simmons guys, right? You put, Shooting uh, Simmons and four shooters, and you're going to have this amazing team, right? That's yeah, like the Simmons. Yeah, but, okay, now what happens when you play against a team like the Lakers who chases everyone off the three-point line? I'm not saying it's a good theory. I, like, no, 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 I'd, no, I I'd much rather you're have Embiid. I'm saying you to the <laughs> I what you're saying. You maximize, yeah. But you maximize your team for, for a short term. So it's like, all right. So it's like, all right, Sixers are playing great, right? They have the best record in the um in the East. They're fifteen and six, and that's with Simmons playing as bad as he's been playing on the offensive side, right? But what happens when the playoffs start and the game slow down and Seth Curry has a bad game? Danny Green guard him like he's Tony Allen. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sixers, the Sixers are the one team that their point guard cannot make you pay for playing a drop defense. Alfred Payton is more lethal from the perimeter. Like, it's just mind-boggling how bad this guy is on the offensive side. He is great in transition, but what happens when his athleticism starts to wane? He's already had knee issues. He already broke his foot. Like, you're not a good post player. You refuse to expect... You refuse to... If he could just attempt... Three mid-range shots a game, it would make all the difference. Yeah, forget the three-point shot. Everyone talks about the three-point shot. Forget yeah, that. How about, about attempting three. a shot outside the paint? Yeah, that would be nice. Shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot at the free-throw line. <laughs> I don't care if you shoot a jump shot at the free-throw line for the rest. Look at how successful it's been for R.J. Barrett's development. Yeah. Just taking more mid-range jump shots and not solely relying or in getting to the basket. Or shooting bad jump shots. Well, you ain't got to worry about him shooting bad jump shots because he don't even want to shoot a jump shot. But if you cannot get to the rim because Embiid is clogging the paint, what are you going to do? The only solution, if he refuses to shoot jump shots, is to do what Brett Brown was forced to do. And that's make Embiid play on the perimeter more, which Mm. hurts your team because he's at – 
your team is at its best and Embiid is at his best his best when you're in the post when he's in the post. So it's at a point where if this guy is not gonna at least shoot a mid-range, you gotta start considering moving him after this season. Right. That's what I was just gonna say. It brings us to the question is a Simmons trade the best move for this team going forward? At this moment, I wouldn't say it is. I would say it's getting another guard that can I say they need to get another wing player. I don't care if he's a two, a three, a one, but they need another perimeter player who can put the ball on the floor. I I score. wonder, I wonder but, if they ever because the to me, um, and it was talked about in the summer a lot, but to me, an amazing fit next to Ben Simmons would be what, what the Bucks did when they got Drew Holiday. I wonder if we'll ever find out if the Sixers tried to put together a package for him or something like that, because they if they get a defensive guard like that who could, who could shoot the three and also play make a little as well, I mean, they would be set. Yeah, I was um thinking someone who's probably more available than Drew Holiday, like Eric Bledsoe who's not a great three-point shooter, but he can knock down the three, and he's always been known for his defense. But while they need a perimeter player that can score, their biggest problem right now that a lot for the playoffs anyway that a lot of people are not going to realize until the playoffs start is not only Ben Simmons' inability to score outside the paint, but it's who's going to come off the bench for Embiid. Dwight Howard is not going to be able to be your backup center in the playoffs because he's going to get demolished in the pick and roll. Right. He's going to be an easy target. You saw it happen when he was with the Lakers last year. He's an easy target. You drag, you force him out onto the perimeter and it's over. He's completely useless. They need to get another bit. And that's why I was so upset that they let Norvell Pell go because he was a cheap guy. He was a cheap big man. He was probably getting paid a million and a half. And he could block shots at the paint and he could step out on the perimeter and keep a wing in front of him. You ain't got nobody outside of Ben and Joel that can do that now. So they need to get another big who can switch on to guards and guard the pick and roll. But they need someone that can put the ball on the floor. I wouldn't consider trading Ben this year unless Bradley Beal is the person I'm getting back. Mm. If it's anyone other than Bradley Beal, I'm not trading Ben Simmons until next year. Like during the off season is when I would look to move him. But I think the ideal candidates for, for them to go after as far as like who might be available, I would say try to get that J.J. Redick reunion going. Or call Sacramento, see how they're feeling about Buddy Hill. He's off to a slow start. They've never really the, the franchise and the player have never really seen eye to eye. Um, you got Victor Oladipo in Houston. You could always trade for him. He's on the final year of his contract. Nerlens Noel. You could call the Knicks, see if they're willing to let him go for a second round draft pick. Hopefully, they are. <laughs> and, then, and then and then you got Javale McGee, who might be of some help. Because JaVale McGee don't sleep. JaVale McGee could shoot some corner threes, too. He yeah. could block shots and shoot corner threes. I'd rather have JaVale McGee than Dwight Howard on the 76. So those are guys that, just like off the top of my head, just like guys that would really 
help them and it would make it would give me more confidence when I look at their bench as far as defense and giving Joel a break. And also it makes Ben Simmons lack of outside the paint scoring less of a concern when you got guys like that. You saw it with, with Jimmy Butler, like these Victor Oladipo is not Jimmy Butler, right? He's not, but he's still a really good defender. And he can score in a multitude of ways. If you add another shot creator, when you already have shooters in Danny Green and Seth Curry and Furkan Korkman, I think it makes it a little easier to go out and get an Oladipo and feel more comfortable with Ben Simmons being a bird. I'm not sure what they trade for Oladipo, though. Because uh, if they're not trading, if they're not trading Simmons, I'm not sure what else they would trade for I mean, Oladipo. I don't, I don't expect Houston to hold him for King's ransom unless they have every intention of signing him to an extension. Which I don't think they do. Yeah. yeah. So it's like Oladipo's in the final year of a contract. I, I wouldn't give up Ben Simmons. I wouldn't break up anything that's been working so far, but. I'd be willing to give up Thibault in a draft pick if it puts me one step closer to a championship. Mm, I'm not sure that gets it done, though. Well, maybe. Maybe. Well, I mean, it's not... He's looked good. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking a couple second-round picks, maybe a first, Thibault, and another veteran, maybe a vet. They got Mike Scott, who barely plays. That is true. It, it'll be, it, it's, it probably won't be an easy deal to get done, but it's an avenue that the Sixers should be exploring. Definitely. They sh- a lot of teams and, are going to be exploring that. And it's going to be even harder to get that done with Oladipo being in Houston and Fertitta being a Fertitta, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, Chip, do you have any more uh, Sixer stuff for, for Larry? Uh, no more Sixers stuff, but I did want to ask Larry about uh, Emmanuel quickly because I know for for Knicks fans, Larry is a big Emmanuel quickly guy. So I wanted I'm to ask him. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of what he's been doing recently? I love it. I love it. I love it. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because someone sent the screenshot to my group chat this morning. And they were talking about, oh, it was um somebody saying that it was a quote from a scout about how they didn't expect him to be um the playmaker that he's proven to be thus far. Right. So I yeah. so I took a screenshot to a a pre-draft article I did. It was three um rising um three draft picks that were rising prospects and that team should consider in the first round. And I took a screenshot of my quickly. Um, section and I was and I quote and I had to highlight what I wrote he wasn't the primary ball handling Kentucky's three guard lineup but he's very unselfish and gets the ball to the open man quickly that's all you need make the right play get the ball out of your hands as fast as possible get that offense running and on top of that he's an elite three-point shooter like this dude is lights out from three and you know that that's realistic for it to continue because he was an 89.5% free throw shooter in college. And this year he's in the 90s. The dude, know, he's just a smart 
smart basketball players. These guys, because they come from schools like Kentucky and Duke, where there's so much talent, some of these dudes get overlooked at the little things that they're so good at and can be even better at that they fall to the late lottery or the end of the first round where quickly was projected to go in the second round. Yeah. I was just reading an article earlier today on The Athletic where the author admitted that he hadn't projected going between 46 and 50. And I'm like, what? Did you look at his combine numbers? Did you? This dude started the season on the bench, played in the three-guard starting lineup, and won conference player of the yeah. year. Yeah, SEC player of the year. That is the craziest part. Yeah. Gonna like, <laughs> like, you don't think, oh, this dude won SEC. And, and, and it's, not like, it's not like the NBA where the media votes everything. These are other coaches and people that work within the NCAA that are voting for this. You don't think, let me get on the phone and call. What made you vote for him? Talk to Kyle Perry. Kyle Perry said that him and Maxi were going to be the steals of the draft. And so far, that's looking somewhat true. Yeah. Before the season started, this is the last thing. I'm, I, I know I've been ranting because I just got excited when you. No, go ahead. We <laughs> love it. I'm not a Knicks fan, but I'm a New Yorker. So. I root for all New York teams to do good, except for the Yankees. That's just the <laughs> hatred that I, I'm from the Bronx and I'm a Mets fan. So the, that the hate runs deep in my veins for the Yankees. But <laughs> I want New York, I want New York teams to do good. I was rooting for Buffalo against the Chiefs and I've never rooted for the Buffalo Bills. But before the season started, um, Alex Trateros of Hoops Have It, you know, he has his podcast, Knicks, Jets, etc. They had me on as a guest, and I told them straight up, the Knicks have their point guard of the future in Emmanuel quickly. Wow. And that's not to say that he's going to be a superstar, but he is a guy that can run your offense and run it efficiently get guys in the spots that they need to be in and play tremendous defense on top of that and score when you need them to. This guy is, what, he's what, not even 20 games into his career and he has one of the nastiest floaters I've ever seen. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> crazy, man. I uh, the, the one thing about him, not the one thing, I mean, there's so many things that I like about him, but the thing that, I, I'm a big believer in in momentum and what type of energy you bring on the court when you step on it and how other people respond to you. And the thing that is is extremely impressive about Emmanuel quickly is that when he steps on the court, um, he is aggressive immediately. He doesn't mm-hmm. he is aggressive immediately and he puts people on their heels. He makes people think about what they're doing on the court to defend him. And I think that's very rare for a young player to have. Um, I, I just, I hope he's here for the long haul. I hope this, this keeps going because this kid looks awesome. He's super humble. Um, and I just, I, I love everything he brings to the team, man. Emmanuel quickly is, is something different. It's been great to watch him. Yeah. The more research I did on him during the offseason while I was writing like pre-draft articles, 
the more research I did on him, the more confused I was that he was projected to go so low in the draft. I feel like the NBA front offices and scouts sincerely and genuinely value athleticism over skill. Right. Yeah. And I just don't understand it. Like, um, Tyrell Terry drafted, I think, 31st overall by the Mavericks. Right. Teams are going to be kicking themselves in the ass in a couple years for not picking him. Look at how teams must feel. Just think about how teams must feel about Jokic. Yeah. I mean, listen, we had uh, we were lucky enough to speak to the assistant coach at Stanford. Um, and me and Chip, we actually I, um, I heard that episode. Yeah, you know, we were we yeah. both we both wanted we were actually when the Knicks picked quickly, man. I'm not gonna lie, it's is great. Quickly's been great now. I'm not gonna lie. When the Knicks picked quickly, there was still Malachi Flynn, Tyrell Terry, and one other guy that that we kind of wanted on the board, and we were all like, damn. But I like I mean, Bain too. We liked yeah. Bain. Yeah, Desmond Bain, Desmond Bain. But you know, listen quickly. He's another guy. I was surprised that he fell so low. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That didn't make any sense to me. But you guys, um, if I'm not mistaken, you guys all were only even able to get quickly because you traded right before that, yes. right? Yeah. To yes. move up to the 25th pick. Yes. We were we I think we selected Daniel uh oh no, wait, Chip, was it Leandro Bomaro for the Timberwolves? Yeah. Someone from Minnesota. I forget who it was. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was. Uh, we we picked for Minnesota, and they picked Leandro Bomaro, but we got their pick, which ended up being quickly. Uh, no, I think it was yeah, because it was originally an OKC pick, and there was also with- there was also a guy named Daniel Toro from from Minnesota that we from the college Minnesota that yeah. I think we that was in that mix as well, but. Um, don't be don't feel sad about missing out on him there's a lot of players that i think are gonna be nowhere close to as good as they're projected and there's gonna be quite a few players that are gonna surprise people yeah quickly one of them yeah desmond bain is gonna be a really good three and d player he's looking a lot listen he's quickly is looking a lot better than our number eight overall pick. My guy, I want him to be good, <laughs> so bad, Obi Toppin, but it's it's been a rough go of it for now. The injury, the injury slowed down his development. I, I feel like the injury, the injury plays a big part of what you're seeing right now in Obi Toppin for the simple fact that it was a calf strain. Right. A, I, um, just to be clear to the listeners that don't know, but a strain is a tear. It's a very minor tear. They say strain, but it's really a slight tear off of the bone. So you're talking about that to the lower leg. Like this guy is not really walking, let alone running. So it's not like he's going to be in good shape. He can't shoot. Like he could not do anything for a few weeks. And then he got to get in game shape. And then on top of that, he was never known for his defense. Right. Fibs, no. Fibs is big on defense. Right. And Randall is playing like he's in a contract year. Right. <laughs> so with, with all those different factors, I feel like that's why you see the sporadic playing time and 
the less than stellar production. But don't doubt his ability and the fact that you guys got a really good player in top. Maybe he wasn't a lottery pick, even though he was national player of the year. But I also feel like Anthony Edwards wasn't a top 10 pick. That's a, that's an interesting one. But I, I know what you mean, though. Honestly, I was lower on Edwards than a lot of people. That strength and that speed is is enticing. But I will, I will be interested to see if he puts it all together. I'm just big on skill over athleticism. When you look at when you look at Luka Doncic, for example, everybody the biggest negatives on him were his perimeter shooting and his athleticism. Right. Now, while he's his perimeter shooting has been abysmal the last two years, this dude was in the MVP conversation his his second year in the NBA. Right. He's never look. He's never averaged less than twenty two points a game. He's only in his third year. Only going to be twenty one years old. Twenty two years old. It's it's. I don't like. While I, I understand why people put so much emphasis on athleticism and explosiveness, but it's just it's just something about watching a fundamentally sound basketball player. That just really, I I just I gravitate towards the fundamentals and the people that can do the skill things like shoot the ball or that have great footwork and can get to the paint with ease. Look, Jason Tatum didn't have a stellar college um career. He only played one season at Duke. He didn't have an outstanding season, but the Celtics were so high on him because of his skill set. He he! Wow, yeah, he can dunk on you. He he wasn't the most athletic player in the draft. That was probably Dennis Smith Jr. And look at where he's at now. About to go to the G League by request, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably the best for him. Um, but I understand what you're saying, man. And 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 I always it's funny because I I think every draft year I try and do the same thing too. Like, who's got that skill set that is. They, they they may not be flashy, but now all of a sudden when you come to the NBA and there's more spacing, you're going to look better. And we've seen that. Um, Tatum is a really, really big example of it. Um, but, man, I, I, it, it was interesting. But uh, listen, man, a, a great combo. Um, we're going we're gonna to wrap up. But um, before I let you go, Larry, man, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on tonight. Truly a p- pleasure having you on. Uh, open invite anytime you want to come back on the podcast again. Before we uh, we close out here, please let anyone listening know where they can find you on Twitter. If there is anything you're working on now for Hoops Have It and you want to promote that, please do so. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter, LarryH718. And right now for Hoops Have It, I'm working on an article that can, um, potential trades that can change the outlook on the Toronto Raptors season. And then I'm probably going to do a potential trades for the 76ers. I like it. I like it. I'm with it. Guys, please, everyone listening, follow Larry on Twitter. Read all his good stuff at Hoops Habit. Once again, man, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This was great. Awesome. This was awesome. awesome. Much, much appreciated. Uh, and for everybody else listening, we hope you guys are staying safe. 
and we will talk to you soon.